0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by the Yale World Fellows Program. This is Leslie Powell, Director of Outreach for the World Fellows Program, talking with Alexander Evans, a 2009 Yale World Fellow. Alexander is a diplomat with the UK Foreign and Commonwealth Office and has served in a number of countries, including Pakistan and India. He is an expert on Afghanistan-Pakistan relations, on the conflict in Kashmir, and on counterterrorism and conflict. He will shortly join the team of Ambassador Richard Holbrook, the US Special Representative for Afghanistan and Pakistan. Thanks for joining me, Alexander.
1: Thanks very much. Good to be here.
0: In addition to your work as an on-the-ground diplomat in some very dangerous places, you are also a fellow at Oxford University, and you publish widely in academic and policy journals. How are you able to combine these two aspects of your professional life?
1: I think there's something really valuable about combining a life engaged in public policy and actually the opportunity to, t- you know, to reflect on what you do. And by being able to spend time at Oxford University and also spend time researching and writing on some of the subjects that I've worked on professionally, I think it enriches some of the work I do uh, on public policy for the British government.
0: You must have periods of time that you're given leave to do, to do your academic work, is that correct?
1: No, I and mean, there's an awful lot of squeezing stuff in, uh, but when I was in Pakistan the last couple of years, I, I enjoyed you know, reasonable periods of time that I could spend back in Oxford, uh, and it's amazing what you can squeeze out of a weekend if you try.
0: <laughs> your CV reads uncannily like a list of the world's worst problems. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Kashmir. I'm sure you'll turn up in Iraq or Iran next. (laughs) Tell me how you developed the expertise you have in these areas and what initially drew you to them.
1: Well, I think like most people who work on a particular part of the world, it's usually accident that gets you there in the first place. And when I was 18, I went out to teach in Nepal just before taking up a place at university. And really, it was that connection with Nepal and visits to Kashmir that connected me to a region that I've stayed involved with ever since.
0: What are some of the key judgments that need to inform U.S. and U.K. policy in the AFPAC region, the so-called AFPAC region?
1: Well, here again, I think knowledge matters. That doesn't mean everybody needs to be a complete expert on the subject being considered. But I think any judgments made in policy terms in Washington or London need to be informed by an understanding of the situation on the ground, both in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And that's above all uh, about listening to people and listening to people who live there, engaging with people on the ground, and making sure that we understand Pakistani and Afghan perspectives on the problems in the region, both for security problems, but also economic problems and social problems. Um, So that the kind of choices made by Western policy are choices that are going to help move towards solutions for everybody, rather than choices that might make things worse.
0: Can Western engagement in Pakistan and Afghanistan make ordinary people safer from the threat of terrorism?
1: I think it can. The key thing for people living in the US or the UK, but also for people who live in Pakistan, I mean, Pakistanis have been bearing a brunt of terrorism, certainly over the last year to two years, um, is that working in concert, the governments of Pakistan and the UK, for example, or Pakistan and the United States, um, can actually cooperate to detect um, and disrupt terrorist plots whether they're directed against folk living in, in Michigan or folk living in, in Multan, in Pakistan. Um, so I think, I think cooperation between countries is essential to getting things right.
0: Alexander, how much is the Western presence in this part of the world a provocation to those who would foment terror?
1: Anti-Americanism has always been a feature of people living outside the U.S., and, and that's true in Afghanistan and Pakistan as, as well as plenty of other places besides. Um, so some people would say that you know the real problems in the area come from the presence of Western forces in both countries. Uh, obviously, in in you know, are, uh, some would say that the real problems in this area come from the presence of American troops in Afghanistan or the degree of American influence in Pakistan. But I think that overstates the case. Um, the real issue is is whether. American policy and British policy is properly aligned with Afghan and Pakistani policy. And that's something where all the governments involved have a common interest to try and forge a, 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 a single way forward. Um, and there's something I think worth remembering about anti-Americanism, which is the old joke that you know, most people in, in this region, like so many others, tend to be thinking, you know, Yankee, go home, but take me with you.
0: You've been living in Pakistan for the last couple of years, and obviously what we see in the media is that it's a very dangerous environment to be living in. How true is that?
1: I think uh, that media coverage of Pakistan can often present a very false image of Pakistan as a country and Pakistan as a society to live in, both for Pakistanis and for Westerners who happen to be living in Pakistan for a period, as I did. Um, For sure, there have been a series of suicide bombings and attacks and kidnaps in Pakistan that make some cities, particularly Peshawar and Quetta, very unsafe for foreigners to be in. Um, But at the same time, one of the real dangers you face in Pakistan is, is a profusion of offers of green tea and hospitality. And I would argue that, you know, you can still drive around in many Pakistani cities, engage with ordinary people, and the only thing you're going to face is curiosity and warmth and friendship rather than any degree of threat.
0: Did you ever feel unsafe?
1: I think it's there are moments when you're uh, living in a country where there are bombings, uh, for sure. You know, you feel uh, uneasy. And certainly when the uh, Marriott Hotel was bombed in Islamabad, uh, friends of mine were injured in that attack. Um, You know, it's alarming and you're unsure what's going on and you need to respond. But I think it's worth remembering all the time that, that the people who've been suffering a brunt of terrorism and militancy in Pakistan. Have been Pakistanis themselves, and they've been—you know—they've been really at the front line. Both civilians, uh, police, and soldiers have been at the front line of uh, tackling the problem and also suffering from its effects.
0: Can you articulate a, a long-term political scenario for Afghanistan? What do you think the country will look like in ten years or twenty years?
1: Well, I hope that Afghanistan will look uh, a lot better than it does now. You know, with a more stable government, with more development with more services flowing not just in the cities, but also out to rural areas, and a real sense of security uh, and prosperity enveloping uh, Afghanistan as a whole. Um, It's not going to be easy to get Afghanistan there, and it's a challenge for the Afghan government, it's a challenge for the Afghan people, and it's also a challenge for those of us around the world who are contributing resources or helping with security to make sure that we're taking the right steps that will support those developments rather than hinder them.
0: Now, you work for the U.K. government, but obviously you work closely with the United States government. Are U.S. and U.K. interests the same in the region?
1: I think U.S. and U.K. interests in the region are very similar indeed. Um, but there are some particular quirks of a U.K. relationship with Pakistan that give us some slightly uh, additional interests as well. You know, Unlike the United States, the U.K. has hundreds of thousands of people who, uh, whose families originate from Pakistan. Uh, and that gives us a particular point of connection with Pakistan. I know very are many Pakistani Americans, uh, but the community in the UK is comparatively larger. Um, many of the uh, security issues we've had around terrorist plots in the UK come from people who are radicalised inside the UK, but where there are connections back to Pakistan. And that gives us a particular security interest back in Pakistan. Um, and on any given day, there are hundreds, uh, and if not thousands, <laughs> of uh, British passport holders living in or visiting Pakistan. So the kind of the social connections between both countries are very deep. Um, and that, that, I think, gives us a flavour of engagement that's, that's, that's um, different to that of a flavour of engagement by the United States. Additionally, you know a lot of the people who uh, are Pakistani-origin in the UK come from um, Mirpur, which is a town in Pakistani-administered Kashmir. So there's a very strong connection to... Um, you know, Kashmir-related issues, Kashmir politics, and that changes the dimension of some of the diaspora engagement with British politics on Pakistan.
0: How does this change the overall sense of what the two countries' interests
1: are? I think at its heart it doesn't. It just means that, you know, for the UK there's there's a slight um, variance in tone sometimes because of uh, our diaspora connection to cities like Mirpur. Um... Underlying uh, the U.S. and U.K. interests in the region are really the same set of issues. Obviously, there are issues about regional stability, the relationship between Afghanistan and Pakistan, the relationship between Pakistan and India, um, development, having stable democratic representative governments, uh, making sure that um, some of the tough issues around narcotics, uh, around refugees, and around conflict and terrorism are, are tackled effectively. And that really means that there's very close cooperation between the United States and the United Kingdom because we share uh, the same desires about outcomes in Pakistan and Afghanistan.
0: Now, you've just spent the last semester at Yale as part of the World Fellows Program. So I have two questions. First, what will you take away from this experience in general and how will it affect your work, if at all? And secondly, what have you learned about leadership that was new to you?
1: I think what one takes away from Yale is uh, an extraordinary collection of new friends. Uh, Friends made on the programme, the 15 of us uh, who have really bonded during this uh, time at Yale together, Uh, but also connections onto the campus with faculty members, with graduate students in the professional schools and also with a range of Yale undergraduates who I'm sure will come knocking. Uh, from time to time as they themselves explore their career options and think about the kind of skills and experiences they need to advance in life. In terms of uh, what lessons uh, we've gained, and and in particular what lessons I've gained from being here, um, it's been an extraordinary opportunity to be able to come at 35 um, and spend four months really focused in on learning again, thinking about skills, and really considering what it is that you have to offer to uh, a career to a, a life in public service or, or uh, as some of my colleagues work elsewhere in, in the various fields that they work, uh, that's a pretty unique opportunity. And for me, I think one takeaway from that is self-knowledge. that you know understanding your own skills and that really means understanding your own weaknesses as much as your strengths is critical to knowing how you can make the best of those skills in a way that will be useful to your society.
0: Thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you.